As I said, this evening we are continuing our exploration of Colossians chapter 4, verse 2 to 4, which I've said is going to be a, is a three-part sermon, really. Uh, we looked at part one this morning, and we are, this is part two today. We are essentially looking at how God wants us to pray and what he wants us to pray for. And this morning we looked at the first part of verse 2, which says, Continue steadfastly in prayer. Continue steadfastly in prayer. And we stopped there. We said, Paul is saying to us, God wants us to pray with perseverance. God wants us to keep on praying. That's what Paul means. That's the first truth we learned. Well, this evening, I want us to learn the second and the third truths that the rest of verse 2 is teaching us. Uh, the rest of verse 2 reads, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So the second truth, if you like, that Paul is teaching us here is simply this. God wants us to pray with what? Watchfulness. God wants us to pray with watchfulness. God wants all true followers of Christ to stay alert. <laughs> it's interesting, isn't it? Stay awake, right? <laughs> I'll try not to say that to people this evening, but you get the idea. To stay alert, be vigilant in our prayers as a local church and in our family and, and in our individual prayers. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. The original word there for watchful is the same word used by the Lord Jesus when he was in Gethsemane. You remember he's in Gethsemane, and what does he do? He tells Peter and James and John, what does he tell them? Mark 14, verse 34. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Remain here and watch. That's the same word. Later on, the Lord Jesus, while in Gethsemane, comes back and finds them sleeping. And we are told by Mark through the eyes of Peter in verse 37 of Mark 14 to 38. He says this, He came and found them sleeping, and he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Again, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Notice the second statement from the Lord Jesus there. He says, first of all, could you not watch? Same word. Again, same word. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The second statement of the Lord Jesus is very revealing there, isn't it? When first time he says to the disciples, watch and pray, it's not simply about dozing off. Christ was saying to the disciples, the hour of darkness is upon us. You are now in the sights of the ancient enemy, Satan. He's out to get you. Behold, now is the hour of darkness. The fate of humanity is about to be decided. You must stay awake and pray, the Lord Jesus is saying. You need to, only be, you need to not only be awake physically in prayer, but also alert spiritually. You need to be aware of your spiritual vulnerability and, and you need to give yourself to prayer. You need to ask God to enable you to meet the challenges you are about to face. That's what Christ meant. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. And I think that's the same way that Paul means it here when he commands the Colossians in verse 2. Continue steadfastly in prayer. We looked at that this morning. And then he says, being watchful in it. Paul is not simply saying, it's not, don't fall asleep in prayer. Right? No, no. It's a serious point though, isn't it? To be sure, there's always a risk that when we are praying together, and Paul here is talking about them praying together, that is always a risk, isn't it? Who has never nearly done, a, what am I called, a Eutychus on a very long winded prayer? You're praying in a prayer meeting, and someone just prays a long prayer, and all of a sudden you've lost track. So, so there is a sense in which physically we must be... It's a struggle sometimes to stay awake in corporate prayer meetings. And even in our own prayer meetings. But corporately, uh, you know, some people like to pray such long prayers that they forget other people may not have slept well during the night. Now, you might say some people like to preach such long sermons they forget people didn't sleep well at night. I get the point. Uh, point taken. But the general point is that let us pray 
with love. Indeed, let us preach uh, with love. And also there's something to be said for preparing well for prayer. I think there's something to be said for that. Even when you're praying at home. When we pray, our whole mind, body, and soul must be involved in our praying. We must give ourselves to pray at the best of time. So that when we are praying to God, we do not lose focus, right? We are so easily distracted. And I think one of the reasons we struggle to pray, actually, is because we often pray when our bodies are not ready to pray. What I mean by that is we give God our tired hours. So the, 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 the good hours, we reserve it for other things, but we want to squeeze in prayer when we're very tired, perhaps. A sort of leftover for God. And as a result, we, we struggle to stay awake. And so we need to repent, actually, of giving God second best. We need to repent that our prayers, the praying can be so unfocused. Right? But that said, this is not Paul's focus in this verse. Paul wants the Colossians to pray with spiritual alertness. He's taking physical alertness for granted. Right? His focus is that, yeah, you've you got to be ready when you pray. You've got to concentrate. But he's, he's, he's really focusing here on our spiritual alertness. And as we have gone through the letter of Paul to the Colossians, we've seen some of the dangers the Colossians are facing, isn't it? Spiritual imposters have come in among them. There are spiritual wolves who are trying to swallow the sheep of Christ at Colossae. They are introducing all manner of false teachings Based on worldly philosophies, Colossians 2, verse 8, Paul talks about that. The false teachers are saying, trusting in Christ is not enough, they're saying. We need to rely on angelic mediators to help us have access to God. We've looked at that false teaching. They're saying it's not enough to trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus. You need to add to Jesus all kinds of Old Testament laws and man-made rules. We looked at that. That's one of the false teachings. So in short, the young church at Colossae is under great spiritual danger. Great danger. And this is why Paul has written this letter. This letter is an act of pastoral protection. Paul wants them to keep their eyes on Christ. Now they need the word of God. They need Paul's letter. This is the word of God. They need that so that they can keep their eyes on Christ. But they also need to pray with Watchfulness. There's a bit that they must do to, to keep themselves from spiritual danger. And that is to continue praying, pray with perseverance. And this second point, to pray with watchfulness. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it, says Paul. Paul is saying to them, look, you need to pray with your spiritual eyes wide open. You need to be looking around for any sign of danger that you need to be praying about. Know the spiritual dangers in the life of the church. Know the spiritual dangers in your family. Know the spiritual dangers in your private life. And know your spiritual dangers at your place of work. All those things we talked about in chapter 3 are relevant here. We must know in each of those areas where God has placed us, responsibility has given us, the spiritual danger of that. And then we need to bring these spiritual dangers before God in prayer. That is what it means to pray with perseverance and watchfulness. Now, this truth that God wants us to pray with spiritual alertness concerning the dangers in our lives is teaching us something important about prayer, isn't it? Prayer is not a small thing. Prayer matters because prayer is the weapon that God has given us to push against spiritual danger in the strength of God. Now, now again, I don't want to recap the sermon this morning which I, which, where I talked about why God has ordained prayer. The God who can do anything has ordained prayer. Right? Because God not only ordains the end, He also ordains the means. The prayer is the means through which God works in our lives. That's just the way God has ordered things. So believing in the sovereignty of God does not take away believing in our responsibility to pray. And here we are being reminded that prayer is a dangerous weapon that God has given us. It's an effective weapon. And the reason God has given us prayer, one of the reasons is that to use it, to wield it, against the spiritual dangers we are facing in the strength of God. That's Ephesians 6, verse 18 to 19. 
Prayer taught time in the Spirit. Wielding the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Wielding that in prayer. You see, the Bible teaches that our life is a battlefield. I, I know as you sit here comfortably with the bank holiday coming up, your life doesn't feel like it's in a war zone. But the Bible says you are in the middle of the war zone. You as a follower of Jesus have three powerful enemies. You've got the flesh. In fact, you've got four enemies. But one has already been comfortably... Well, actually, one is still coming. So you go, you've got four enemies, right? I don't mean the Antichrist. <laughs> you've got four enemies... Uh, that, that, that's, that, that, that's, that's, uh, the Antichrist is just a form of another enemy that we already got. So, four enemies, right? Let me not be distracted. Four enemies. The flesh, the world, the devil. The, the Antichrist falls under the devil. The, 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 the Antichrist is actually already here. <laughs> I'm sort of beginning to preach a different sermon at this point. But you get the idea, right? The flesh, the world, the devil. And the fourth enemy, of course, is death, isn't it? And death, of course, has been conquered. But right in the ear and now, we face this, this powerful three enemies. Now, it's true that Christ has defeated all of our enemies. Colossians 2, verse 15. On the cross, he triumphed them over in him and made them a public spectacle. Right? That's what it says in Colossians 2, 15. So the devil and his demonic forces have been defeated. Christ conquered the world by living a sinless life. He conquered the flesh in the same way. And Christ, of course, conquered death. He did these things not for himself, but for us. So we who are in Christ are eternally secure. The devil cannot rob us of our salvation. No power can plunder the kingdom of Christ and steal us from his firm grip, right? The Christ who is in us is stronger than our enemies in the world and beyond. But at the same time, our victory over the flesh, the world, the devil, will not be fully visible in our lives until the Lord of glory appears for a second time. So now as believers, we live in a now, but not yet. Right? Right now we are secure in Christ, but we don't see the full benefit of our security. And until Christ descends, the world will keep attacking you. The flesh will keep attacking you. The, world, the, 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 devil, the, the devil will keep attacking you. How are you going to withstand these spiritual attacks in your life? Now, of course, you put on the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, and a key aspect of that is wielding the word of God. But there's another thing here Paul is telling us. We need to pray with spiritual eyes. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. That's how we respond to the attacks of the enemy. If you are not regularly talking to God about the dangers you are facing in your life, you are living dangerously. You are sleeping in a war zone. Think of Kiev, of Bakhmut. That's where you are in this world. Now imagine living in Bakhmut in the Ukraine with all shelling going on, with all these soldiers, and you're just there dozing off on a street. That's dangerous. If you're not examining your life, if you're not diligently looking out for areas where you're vulnerable to Satan and praying about those areas, beloved, that is living with spiritual suicide. It's spiritual self-harming. Charles Spurgeon reminds us that prayer surrounds our human weakness with divine strength. Be alert to spiritual danger in your life and pray about it. Poison. Where do we start? Well, we always start with our own life, isn't it? Look at your own life. Where am I prone to being tempted by the devil? The world, the flesh. Where is the devil constantly trying to steal me away from Christ? Now, to some extent, asking that question should be just bog standard, isn't it? I mean, we should know that. I hope you're doing that. I hope you're self-examining yourself all the time. And I'm not going to spend time on that. It's, it's, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> you're a soldier. Second Timothy, whatever. Is that First Timothy 3? Second Timothy 3, right? You're a soldier. That's Ephesians 6. And you've got to examine your, 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 yourself continuously for where you are being attacked by the evil one. Where, is it, where are you prone to sin? And you're going to be seeking help to deal with those issues through prayer and asking other people to pray. That's box standard. What I want to remind you is something that we, doesn't come very easy to us, which is this. Most of us know the dangers in our lives. 
But the truth is that there are many blind spots we've got. There's a danger that you are facing that you can't even spot. That's normal. That's why we don't send the soldier alone. The soldier goes with other people. Because other people can spot the danger. And that nicely leads me to the point I'm trying to make. Because you are blind spot, you need other believers to spot your vulnerability. You know the, um, <clears throat> the presidential candidates in the USA, before they enter a debate, one of the things that the candidates like to do is that they get a sparring partner. Okay? So they're going to be attacked on the debating floor. To be prepared for that, what do they need? They need to do a bit of practice, yeah? And to do practice, you need a sparring partner. Someone who supports your vulnerability. Or let's say you're going for a job interview, right? And, and, and you've got a colleague at work. I used to do this when I used to work in secular employment. I need to either be interviewed. I, need, I know I'm going for a difficult interview. What do I do? Well, I get my boss, right? Uh, and, and I get my boss. Yeah, he, the boss was all right with me looking for another job. <laughs> so, so, so my boss has encouraged me. You need a better job. So, so it's okay. Give me a, a, You do the mock. So he, he sits opposite me, he takes me through the paces, da, 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 da. he's my sparring partner, he's, he's pointing out my vulnerability, right? Or think of people who do boxing, Tyson Fury, right? right? Before a fighter goes in the ring, what do they do? They find someone who fights like the opponent they're about to fight against. So that they can be equipped, prepared to take on the, the, spirit, the, the, the dangers they're about to face in the ring. Now, you and I are at war against the world, the flesh, and the devil. I'm not suggesting you find someone who looks like a devil, right? We're not going to find anyone like that. That's not the point. There's no sparring partner here, so the relationship doesn't quite work. But the point I'm trying to make is that you have been given something even better. Something better than a sparring partner. You have been given people in your life, other believers, who can help you spot the vulnerabilities, your blind spots. Who are these people? Who are the people who are sat here? The people who are sat here. We are God's gracious gift to you to help you spot in a loving way that sister, you've got a vulnerability here. You need to deal with it. Brother, there is an issue here. You need to deal with that. We are on your side. We are on your team. We are are like the, the sparring partner, right? But the point is, we can only help you if you allow us to help you. If you open your life up to, to the people in the church, if you humble yourself to be corrected by others. I can only be helped if I allow myself to be corrected by you. Now, I keep banging on about this point because I find this is so true in my own life. Most of the growth in my own life has come as a result of a friend saying to me, Chola, nah. You've got to straighten that bit of your life out. You've got to deal with that. Oh, brother, why were you not serious about that prayer meeting? Why did you say this and this? What's going on there? Deal with it. Right? Uh, people like that all the time. And routinely, I, I put myself in situations where I actively ask people to spot my vulnerabilities. My spiritual dangers. I've discovered this is true in my own life and I'm impressing it on you that you need people who tell you the truth in love. Not people who are out to beat you up or anything else like that spiritually. People just tell you the truth in love. What a blessing it is to have that. Your husband or your wife can do it for you but there's a problem there. The closer they are to us, they share the same, they begin to share the same blind spots about us. And of course, they have a perverse incentive, as they call it in economics, to not tell us the truth. There's only a limit to which your husband will tell you because he's worrying about eating. (laughs) Or the wife is telling you something because, you know, which your husband will tell you or your wife will tell you because there are things to be handled. You need people who have, who they are only hurting the ring, isn't it? They are only, is that the phrase? They are only hurting the ring or they are only incentive is that they love you in Jesus. There's nothing in it for them. The church is meant to be that place because, because there's nothing in it for me to tell you to get right with God. The only thing in it for me is that I'm being faithful before the Lord. That's it. 
And so we need people like that, right? And the church is there to be like that. So that's why I bang on about this. We need people in our life, those who can tell us the truth in life, in love, not those who pamper us. That's my point. Now, it's not just your spiritual life that you need to watch out for in prayer. You also need to watch out in prayer over your family. That's so important. Being watchful in it. Pray with watchfulness, not just over your life, but over your family. What would we say to a parent, for example, who just lets a child walk dangerously in a road? Or allows a teenage son to, or teenage daughter to just wander off in the streets at night? What would we say about such a parent? Well, we'd call the social services, isn't it? <laughs> we'd say there's something wrong there. This is a serious issue. This parent is irresponsible. For the love of the child, the authorities must intervene here. They should not be a parent. Now, you may debate about the limits of the state, but I hope you get my illustration. We'll be genuinely concerned. But I just want to ask you, are we not guilty of the same spiritually by the lack of watchfulness over our families? Parents, are you diligently, as it were, identifying where the flesh, the world, the devil is attacking your children? Are you spending time with them to understand their struggles? Well, if not, you are practicing spiritual negligence. Because you need to understand the dangers they are facing so you can pray for those before God. You cannot pray earnestly for them unless you are alert to the dangers they are facing. We may ask the same question for us, for us who are married. We are working hard to provide all the emotional and physical support to our spouses, Right? But, uh, but uh, we are led to their spiritual dangers. There are too many people, I'm speaking here by for those who are married with believers, there are too many of us who just assume our husbands are doing well in Christ. How do you know? You cannot take the spiritual welfare of anyone for granted. I have seen men who love the word of God, who have preached it, fall down. Plunge just like that. Down. They just fall. Down spiritually. People much, much, much more knowledgeable of the word of God than any of us in this room. So I'm saying, beloved, all of us are feet of clay. We are feet of clay. All of us, without exception. And there's some good, spiritual, mature people in this room. And yet all of us here, without exception, are feet of clay. Are feet of clay. And so we need to really take serious care for the spiritual health. We need to be active in sporting the spiritual dangers of our spouses. Especially if they're believers. We need to be clear in sporting the spiritual dangers of our children. We need to be concerned about their spiritual state. We need to, when we see something isn't quite right, it should concern us. Don't say, oh, she's just like that, or he's just like that. Let it concern you. Let it drive you into prayer. Let it make you sick after God for them. That is praying with watchfulness. Your lack of interest is endangering them. It's not love. You're working against the person. You're working against your family if you're not watching and praying. So we need to watch over our family, our individuals, our family. We also need watchfulness over the church, isn't it? For the church... As a church, we face spiritual threats collectively, just like the church at Colossa Fest. How are we doing as a church in identifying areas and praying about things that the flesh, the world, and the devil is working against us? You know, in this church, there are brothers and sisters who are facing difficult issues in their marriage. Are you personally aware of these dangers? Are you praying about these things? Someone probably in the church is feeling discouraged and doubting. Every church has people like that. 
Others have perhaps fallen into sin. Others are, we haven't sinned for a long time. What's a long time? More than two weeks. Are you praying for these people with knowledge? Now you're thinking, surely, <laughs> I was following you, but right there is my problem. How can I pray with true watchfulness for people in the church that I don't even know very well? How do we watch and pray for people we don't know well? Yes, I recognize my responsibility to watch and pray for people in the church, but in a church like this, we can't know everyone who was, for example, here this morning. Very well, their situation. Indeed, it may be inappropriate to know their situation in some cases. So how can I pray with watchful people that are, I want to know some people and I want to be able to watch, pray with, with, with watchfulness for them? How do I do it? Well, you can't really do it in your strength. But the Lord can help you become a better watchman or better watchwoman for this church and your family. Let me just share with you how the Lord has helped me to pray with watchfulness. Not, to, not, not because I've arrived. This is an area I struggle with. Right? But one thing that has worked for me to pray with watchfulness, especially for people whom I am ignorant of their spiritual condition or dangers, the way I've done it is the Lord has taught me to pray for four things. And I have to say this nearly always works. Four things. First, I ask God to give me knowledge of the burdens, heartaches, dangers, and specific needs that person has. I would pick anyone in the church who I don't know very well. What's going on with them? And I just pray that first prayer. I ask God to give me knowledge of their burdens, their attacks, their dangers, their specific threats they are facing. That's the first thing I pray for. The second thing I pray for is I tell the Lord, Lord, I am willing, and this is key, I am willing to be part of the answer to that person's problem or issues. And where I feel I'm not willing, I say to the Lord, Lord, make me willing. Because some cases that have an inclination, I'm like, I don't want to go there, right? So I pray, Lord, make me willing, okay? Number three, I then ask God to give me a real spirit of compassion and love for the person I'm praying for so that I can truly identify with their situation. Remember this morning we said we must pray with perseverance. The reason we don't pray with perseverance for people's issues is because we can't identify with their situation. We are not incarnational in our prayers. So one of the things we, I pray for, you need to pray for, is that God will make you identify with the person. And the Holy Spirit can bridge the gap. Yes, you are praying for a single parent, a single, a, a single, um, a, a, a single mother, for example. You are, you, you, are, you, you are a husband even, so let's make this diametrical. You are a father who has a child and your family is okay. You may not be able to identify. But the Holy Spirit can bridge this gap, you see. The Holy Spirit can help you identify in some way. And so you must pray for the, I pray for that third thing. The fourth and final thing is this. I then ask God to teach me how to pray. And how to intercede on behalf of this person. I want to pray the way God wants me to pray. So I ask God to teach me on how to watch and pray for the person. And I just say, look, I'm sharing this not because this is perfect. I'm sharing this just in case there's someone here who really wants to grow and be watchful in prayer for others. And maybe you're asking, how can I grow in this for people I don't know well? Well, that's how I do it. And I can tell you, time and time again, it works. The Lord answers this. I can't, in fact, I cannot think of a time when, I, when the Lord took me through those four steps that I, I didn't discover the burdens. I, wasn't, I, was, I mean, I have. I'm able to put... Sometimes, I'm not saying it happens immediately, Sometimes it may take six months, it may take, uh, it may take a month or a week or two. But the Lord, this works. And a key part of this is willingness. Remember, number two is key. Yeah. Being willing. And when the Lord sees you're willing to be part of the solution, oh, man, he will just allow you to pray. And he will teach you how to identify uh, with, with, with that. The point is God wants us to pray with watchfulness, Right? 
Let us watch for ourselves, our families, and this church. And maybe you might start it this week. Pick one person. Go through those four steps in the church and see what the Lord uh, would do to grow your watchfulness. And we can do this in the, even in our own families because we may assume we know the burdens of our wives. We don't. Go through those four steps with your wife so that the burdens would really come out and God will help you. So, point number two, wasn't it? God wants us to pray with watchfulness. The first point was this morning. God wants us to pray with perseverance. The, th- the, th- the, th- the third and final truth Paul is teaching us in verse 2 is that God wants us to pray with thankfulness. Now, this is a bit more theological, this, this bit. We are, we are looking at thanksgiving. Because God wants us to pray. Our prayers to him as a local church and as individuals to be full of gratitude for who he is and what he has done for us. Continue steadfastly in prayer process, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. I have three questions, really, and the answers are theological. The first question is, what does Paul mean when he says we must pray with thanksgiving? Secondly, why should we pray with thanksgiving? And finally, how do we pray with thanksgiving? Now, it could have been a separate sermon, but I think we need to move on. So here we go. We'll be quick. Right? The first question, what does Paul mean when he says we must pray with thanksgiving? Now, this is easy for us to answer, right? Because throughout the letter, Paul has been talking about thanksgiving in so many different ways. First, first, so, first thing, praying with thanksgiving means praying with a thankful heart. Just two things here. Praying with a thankful heart. That's where it starts. God is only interested in thanksgiving that comes from the heart. And that again is already something we've looked at. Colossians chapter 3 verse 16. Right there. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teaching and admonishing one another. In all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. How? With thankfulness in your hearts to God. See the heart is the key there. When we looked at this passage. Uh, chapter 3 verse 16. We said the heart here speaks of the inner you. It is a center or seat of all spiritual life and strength. It is your, will, your mind, will, and affections. And so gratitude is a matter of the inner person. We must be first full of heart inside our hearts before we can express our thanks to God in prayer. It must, we must have a heart of thanks. Now, you know that the Bible teaches us that something has gone terribly wrong with every human heart. It happened when Adam and Eve rebelled against God in the Garden of Eden. And since that day, human beings became infected with sin. And each person is born with a spiritually dead heart. We are born without hope and without God in the world, Paul tells the church at Ephesus. But the good news of the Bible is that God has come as a, as a heart surgeon to give all who truly repent and trust in Jesus a new spiritual heart transplant. See, the Lord Jesus died on the cross to pay the price for our sin. To, to suffer the wrath and judgment from God that we deserve because of our sin. And he rose from death, didn't he? as we, re- we reminded that him, so that anyone who truly repents and trusts in him can, can be forgiven of sin and receive new spiritual life with God forever. But not just life with God forever. We get a new holy nature from God, a, a new heart even. Of course, to receive this new heart, we must truly repent and trust in Christ. And all who have truly repented of their sin. Have this new heart. And so that we can now pray with the heart of thanks. We cannot pray with true thanks before God with a dead heart. We need a new heart. Those who are not born again cannot truly thank God because they have no, their heart is corrupt. But us who trust in Christ have a new heart of thanks. And so Paul then commands us, doesn't he? Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Paul is saying to the Colossians, you have a new heart. You can pray with thanks to God, and you must do it. You are not like the non-believers who are mute to God. When non-believers say words of prayer of thanks to God, God shuts his ears. He's not interested because the heart is corrupt. 
But you, says Paul, you are a true child of God. You are different. You have been given a new heart by God. And when you thank him from the heart, he hears you. So, what does Paul mean here by praying with thanks? It means that we must pray from the, these new hearts that he talked about in Colossians 3, verse 16. We must have thankfulness in our hearts and express it to God. And that's the second thing about praying, uh, praying with thankfulness. It is verbalizing our thanks to God. We need to actually tell God our thanks for what he has done. Colossians chapter 1 verse 12 makes that point, doesn't it? We looked at that in chapter 1. It says, may you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. He's praying for them. For all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. The original word for thanks is Eucharistio. It means to express appreciation or gratitude or gratefulness for the benefits or blessings we have received. The, the, the key point is that having a thankful heart and praying out our thanks to God are, are bound together, aren't they? If we do not tell God we are thankful verbally, we are not really thankful in our hearts, are we? And we know this in our human relationships, beloved. I mean, <laughs> do you want your husband or your wife or your, ch- your child or your parents even to simply have a thankful heart without telling you? I mean, you're never going to hear any thanks. Is that good? Of course not. We hear it vocalized, and some of us here really need to learn this. Uh, as I was thinking about this as a husband, I was saying, I think I've missed the point here. I'm always, I think I'm always thankful for my wife, but do I really tell her that as much as I need to tell her? No, I need to do more. And I'm thankful for my daughter. Do I tell her as much as I need to tell her? No, I need to tell her more. And I think it's the same thing with God, isn't it? We are, yes, thankful to God, but what is the proof of our thanks? We must say it. And as I said, some of us husbands here, this is where we go wrong. We need to learn this a bit more. I, I'm, uh, I'll leave the ladies alone. I'm sure they're doing it already, right? But the point is, we need to learn this. And I think the point is, we know in human relationship. It's not simply saying, I have a heart of thanks. Are you telling God you have thanks? It must be vocalized. If we're, if we're not telling others we're thankful, we're not really thankful. You know, when my mother was alive, she would often... Thank me for doing something to, for her. And I have to say, I found the experience a little embarrassing. It was embarrassing. Because I didn't want to hear my mother thank me. Why? She's my mother. Why should she thank me? Honestly, like, why? Maybe some of you want your parents to thank you. But I just, I found that deeply, deeply uncomfortable. It is odd. I hope we will agree it is strange. It's a strange feeling when your parents thank you. When you, you know you owe all your life to them. But then I realized that, no, she thanked me simply because it was an outflow of thanks from her heart. It was impossible to stop her because she was genuinely thankful inside. Now, God wants us to pray with thankfulness. From the heart, that's the point I'm making. And if we really have a heart of thankfulness to God, we cannot but express it in words. So I just want to ask you this evening, are your prayers filled with thankfulness? And this is the problem with prayerlessness, by the way. This is the link back to what we talked about this morning. Because prayer, the vehicle for thanking God is prayer, isn't it? But if you and I are not praying, are we thanking God? No, our prayerlessness says we have an unthankful heart. That's the link, you see, to yesterday. To, feels like yesterday. To, to, this, to this morning's sermon, right? Your prayerlessness is very is, is deep in gratitude to God. God wants you to pray continuously with thankfulness. So that's what it means. What is thankfulness? What does he mean by thankfulness? But the second question, isn't it? Is what, why does God command it? What is the purpose of praying with thankfulness? I mean, that's, 
I mean, that's an important question. I don't know how you would answer that. Why does God command us to thank Him? I think God commands us to, to pray with thankfulness because giving thanks to God is worshipping God. That's the first reason. We are acknowledging His goodness. And the Psalms are full of expressing that thankfulness. It honors Him. You see, when we give thanks to God, we are proclaiming His mighty acts. We think of, we th- we th- we think of Deborah and Barak as they thank God for the victory uh, over the Canaanites. We, we think of, um, uh, of, of Moses, Miriam, uh, leading Israel into thanks after God's deliverance out of Egypt. Thankfulness is proclaiming the mighty acts of God. It's a form of worship. We are declaring His praises. We are saying to God, you are good and everything you do is good. Now, 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 God does not need us to honor Him. We talked about that this morning. God doesn't need our prayers. And certainly doesn't need us to remind Him He's great. He has no needs. But honoring God is the proper and right relationship to Him. Because we are creatures. He is our creator. It's not an issue of need from God's part. It's what does it mean to relate to Him? It's a bit like a parent of the children, right? The, the, the parent doesn't need the child to respect uh, the, 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 doesn't need the child to respect them because they have a need for respect. I must go around that my child is respecting me all the time. No, no. The parent demands respect from the child because that is the proper relationship God has ordained. It's a proper way to relate to your parents. You must respect them. Not because the parents have a need, but that's the proper relationship. It's the same thing with God. God is God. He's, he's a creator, and the proper way of respect we relate to Him is to honor Him. And we honor Him by what? Giving thanks to Him. I did say this is a bit theological. It's, it's all, the rest here is theological, right? God is worthy of our praise and thanksgiving. Of course, not simply as our creator, He deserves our praise for the spiritual blessings in the Lord Jesus Christ. The horse knows its honor, Isaiah says. The donkey knows its honor. But my people, they don't know me. They don't thank me. God indicts the people in in Isaiah 1. They don't recognize the relationship they are meant to have. We in Christ, we are not only letting to God as our creator, is our great redeemer in Christ. And the proper and right thing for us to do Knowing how good he is to us in Christ is to give him thanks. Paul, writing Ephesians 1, he starts off with praising God, isn't it? Before he goes to the big doctrines of, 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 of election and, and God's calling before time, he, he, he's thankful. Why? Because recognizing we have this relationship. We are loved in the beloved. So praying with thanksfulness is demanded for us because it's the right thing to do. But there's a second reason. It is also good for us. Because it grows us to become more like Christ. Praying with thankfulness grows your humility, doesn't it? You and I tend to take credit for everything going on in our lives. We love to usurp God's glory. We love life to be like, I did that. No, you didn't do that. God did that. When we pray with thanksgiving, we say, it's God who did it. And you see the problem with prayerlessness now, don't you? Prayerlessness is, is you being quiet about who did it. You're just, mm, I'm not going to talk to God. I'm not going to thank him. Because it's me. It was my job. I got the interview. I, you know, I got this job. You're not thanking God. But when you start thanking God, it humbles you. Prayer humbles you. Prayer with thankfulness humbles you. It puts to death the sin of pride, the sin of idolatry to death. Because you're acknowledging all praises belong to God alone. The other way it grows us, well, it's good for us, it makes us more like Christ, is that praying with thankfulness stimulates actually directly our faith in Christ. You see, as we give God thanks for his acts in the past, what happens? We trust God for now and the future. Remembering God's past mercies encourages us to trust him for present mercies, for today. And I think this is one of the points that, not to preempt Brother Frederick's wonderful study in Philippians, but I think that's what Paul has in mind. 
Once it comes to it, you correct me, of course. But Philippians 4, verse 6 to 7. That famous verse, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The point there is that you see, praying with thankfulness makes us less anxious. It fills us with more contentment, doesn't it? As we are relying now, we recognize what God has done. We think of his present message to us as we thank him for that. Yeah, it makes us less anxious about the future. You know, there are many things that make us unhappy in our lives. Things that make us feel low. Maybe this evening, you are feeling low about some situation. And when you are discouraged about some situation, your prayers will be hollow. You'll be prone not to pray as much. You'll be prone to be disobeying the command in the first part, continue steadfastly in prayer. But when you fill your prayers with thankfulness to God, what happens is you start growing to be contented in Christ. And the more you grow to be contented with Christ, the more you pray. And so there's a chain reaction there. Because you are focusing, you're praying and telling God, Thanks in prayer, and if you're doing that regularly, you are constantly reminding, you're constantly preaching the gospel to yourself. You're constantly reminding yourself of what God has done. And as you remind yourself of what God has done, you are thankful, you are happy, you are contented. You're like, yeah, the world is difficult. Yes, the kids are running around. Yes, I have a difficult relationship with my wife. Or I have a difficult relationship with the, with the people at work. But you know what? The big issue is, the big frame of thinking, the big idea is that God is on the throne. And I've got much to be thankful for. See, as we pray with thankfulness, we now pray with new feelings of love for God. And the more love we have for God, the more thankful we become towards Him. So that's why it's important, right? That was the second thing, isn't it? What, what is thankfulness? Why is it important? Well, I hope you see why it's important. And remember, we're not talking about thankfulness in the abstract. This is thankfulness wrapped in prayer. It's good for you to pray regularly and to pray with thanks because it's a proper relationship to God and it, no matter what's going on in your life, it grows you to become more like Christ. Contentment, peace, all of these things flow from that. Growing in faith. The final question and we'll end here is this. It's good for us, so how do we grow then in this area? How can I grow to continue not only in prayer, but continuing in, continuing in uh, being watchful in prayer. Let me just suggest three ways, and we pick this up right from Colossians. I think there are three. First of all, because praying with thankfulness comes from the heart, we grow in praying with thankfulness by what? Growing in faith. Now, I've just said that thankfulness grows our faith. It is also true that as we grow in faith, we grow in thankfulness. I'm not making that up. Paul taught us that already. You may have forgotten. Colossians 2, verse 6 to uh, verse 7. Let me just look that up. Colossians chapter 2, verse 6 to verse 7. What does Paul say there? He says, Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord... So walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. And when we looked at that passage, I said the word for abounding in verse 7 means overflowing. Other translation translated like that. Overflowing with thanksgiving. It's an image of a river or a well with water spilling all over it, right? This is thanksgiving that cannot be contained. But where is it coming from? Where is it coming from verse 6 and the part of verse 7? It is coming from being rooted and grounded in Jesus. Being established in the faith. Boy, he's saying as we grow in being established in Christ, we become drenched in thanksgiving to God. Do you want to grow in thankfulness? Dive deep in the word. Not just as an intellectual exercise. Be rooted and grounded in the gospel. Let the gospel grab hold of you. 
Make use of other means of grace, like the preaching of the word. Fellowship with the saints to grow you in faith. Okay, so growing in faith is key for us to grow in thankfulness. And we do that by using the means of grace. Secondly, praying with thankfulness comes from meditating on what God has done. We've touched on this already. What God has done. It's so important to keep meditating on what God has done for us through the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, we looked at that. Colossians 1, verse 1 to 12. Verse 11 to 12 makes that point. Chapter 1, verse 11 to 12. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Paul is saying that as the Colossians and us, remember that we have a great future in Christ. That we have been transferred from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. And that we have this glorious, great inheritance in Christ. Well, we will grow to be thankful to God. That's what Paul is saying. So meditate on your riches in Christ, the gospel riches, the infinite blessings you enjoy, the spiritual blessings in Christ. A heart filled with the gospel prays continuously and it prays with thanks. The third and final thing, then I'll end. Growing to pray with thankfulness is a God thing. What I mean by that is that it's not something you can do. It's something you must pray for. That's why Paul prayed in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 to 11. Because that's the prayer. Verse, sorry, verse 11 to 12, which we just read. Paul is praying for them that they would be strengthened with power, glorious power, that they would endure, endure, and they would do it with patience, with joy, and that will overflow in what? In giving thanks to God. Don't forget, this is all a prayer. Because Paul realized that prayer is the vehicle that God has designed to bring blessings from us, he's only thrown down to us. God wants us to pray before he gives us things for, to us. So, here we come to the mystery of prayer, then, don't we? <laughs> what we've been talking about. We are, we are back to the mystery of prayer we talked about this morning. God wants you to continue praying. He wants you to, to pray with watchfulness. He wants you to pray with thanksgiving. How do you do it? You must pray. You must pray to do this thing. You must pray for all the things we've been talking about. You must pray that you become these things. This is the paradox of prayer. Uh, Lord, I am praying that you help me to pray. Because prayer is a good thing. So to summarize what we've looked at this morning, this, today, three truths, isn't it? Then we'll end. God wants us to pray with perseverance. Yeah. Continue steadfastly in prayer. We must keep on praying to God together and individually, regardless of obstacles. Point number two, God wants us to pray with watchfulness, being watchful in it. We must look out for the spiritual danger in the church, in our families, in our individual lives, even in the places of work. And we didn't even talk about being watchful in society. And we must not just see them and spot them, we must pray about them. Watch and pray. So that you may not enter into temptation. Finally, God wants us to pray with thankfulness. We just talked about that. We must pray to God from a heart of gratitude. Don't just say, I have a heart of gratitude. Tell it to God. How do you tell it to God? You must pray. Don't just tell him once. Continue steadfastly in prayer. Being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Continuous thanksgiving. Amen.